traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. Here with Value Stock Geek, joining us under a pseudonym, which is fine. You don't need to be a real person. Well, you need to be a real person, but you don't need to be have your face and name necessarily attached to your views to join the Contrarian Investor Podcast. So Value Stock Geek here has been on the show before, and we discuss your weird portfolio, but I want to talk about some holdings that you've added in the last couple of years, or in the last year, actually. And there's three of these. They're all tech. Google, mm-hmm. Meta, nay, Facebook, and Taiwan semiconductors. So admittedly, maybe not the most contrarian thing here, but I guess what, what is pretty contrarian is the fact that you are still long these stocks as the US potentially enters an economic downturn, which would be bad for growth stocks. So tell me your views on maybe starting with Google. Sure. So I bought all of these stocks last year into the tech decline. So I've been waiting for a long time for these great businesses to be available at some compelling prices. So last year, um, all of these businesses hit pretty attractive valuations. Google got down to about 15 times earnings. Meta got down to about 10 times earnings. Taiwan Semiconductor also got down to 10 times earnings at the end at the end of last year. Um, so I've really just been looking at, that's my generally my approach is I look for businesses. Um, I, I track them for a long period of time. On my Substack, I build up a big watch list of companies that I think are great. And these are three companies that I've always thought were pretty great. And I've just been waiting for the opportunity to grab them at an attractive valuation. So um, starting it off with Google, um, last year, Google got down to a pretty attractive valuation. I bought it around um, 15 times earnings. Um, the concerns about Google right now are about the upcoming, potentially an upcoming recession. And then there's also concerns about AI. Um, that's another big concern over Google, um, that they're basically the search business will get disrupted. So that's that's a big concern there. Um, I think when you look at the actual business results, that things are still pretty good, that there hasn't been a major disruption in their actual business results. Um, and a lot of what's going on right now is speculation about what might happen in the future. 
And to me, that's the perfect kind of setup. You have a business that's not actually in serious trouble right now, and it's mainly being beaten up over uh, speculation about macro worries. And in my view, those macro worries like an upcoming recession are pretty unpredictable. So we might have a recession this year. Um, I don't really know. I don't really have a view on it. The reason I generally buy stocks is to hold it over a five-year period. And I would expect over any five-year period, a recession is a potential threat. So that's why I generally stick to businesses that have moats and businesses that have shown in the past some level of recession resistance. One of the first things I always look to when I buy a business is its performance from 2007 through 2009. And the thinking is that a 2007 through 2009 environment could happen at any time. Okay, that's a, that's a, some really interesting stuff. Now, going back to Google, you said that AI is a potential overhang, at least for the search business, but it's interesting because AI and what they've done with AI has been a big catalyst for the stock to move higher this year. It's up 30% mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, do you think that this is necessarily a zero-sum game with AI and the search business? Or, or Yeah. So the concern about Google is that obviously Google search is the key aspect of its moat and Google search has been fueled by algorithms over many years. And people have that ingrained habit that when they want to look up something, they will Google it, Google it. Google has become a verb. Yeah. Yeah. It's become a verb. I'm going to Google something. So I think even if better search engines powered by better AI come along, I don't think that that ingrained behavior that people have will get disrupted. I don't Mm -hmm. think that in five years, there will be some better search engine, like let's say Bing provides better results powered by AI. Um, I don't think people will change that habit where Google still will control in excess of 95% of all search on on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not too concerned about that. With that said, um, Google's AI, I think is just as good as chat GBT. Like I've, um, I've tried, I've tried both out um, and they, they both seem barred versus um, versus ChatGPT, and I think that they're pretty um, they're pretty similar. I usually get pretty similar results. Like they both can deliver um, results that are factually incorrect. Sometimes mm. um, I think there was a lot of press made when Google first unveiled Bard, and it was uh, it gave some wrong results. Well, I've gotten incorrect results from from the other chatbots, mm. so I think that that was a little overblown. And recently, Google has announced a lot of progress that they've made in the AI space. And now it doesn't seem like that's as much of an existential threat as people were worried about a few months ago. And I think that's generally how things go with every stock. People overreact to things on the downside and the upside. And I'm trying to capture really good businesses when when they're a little, little beaten up and expectations yeah. are a little down, which I thought was the case last year. Yeah. What is the business case for AI and specifically for Google? Like, I mean, I know they they have this Bard thing and they're launching an app supposedly soon, but what is it just to integrate with its with with its search in a, in a different way and, and show ads that way, or what what is it? Um, I I think of it more as a threat to Google. So yeah. I think of AI as like there could be better alternatives that can come along, and it's more. I don't know if I don't know if there is really much of a business case for AI. Like I don't really have oh, really? any view on that. What I'm more concerned about is will people continue to use the Google search engine? Um, will that get disrupted? Is Google taking efforts to counter that disruption? And um, 
you know, I, I think that that moat is pretty much intact and I don't think it's going to get disrupted over the period of time that I plan on holding the stock, which would be like five years. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. All right. Interesting. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. And so then Meta, now that's been an interesting stock here. Their big bet on the metaverse, they literally renamed the company to Meta. But that hasn't really gone all that well. But yet the stock has rebounded. It's doubled this year, just about. So I imagine you're sitting on some pretty big gains. Are you trimming your holdings at all or not? I'm up just a little bit. I, I became, um, I got a little too eager to buy it when it was beaten up the first time. So mm-hmm. I bought it, um, you know, a little over a year ago. So I'm not up uh, huge on the position. I've, I've owned it for through the decline and then I've held it through the upswing. So I, I've, I'm basically just holding on. My thinking on Meta was last year when it first started declining, was it started declining on concerns about the metaverse. So the yeah. concerns are obviously that um, Mark Zuckerberg has been spending way too much of the company's cash on the metaverse, and it's not really going to result in any gains for the stock. And there was all there were also concerns that um, Meta was also going to lose some ground. So there were concerns about TikTok digging into the amount of time that people spend on the Meta app applications like Instagram and Facebook. Mm. And there were concerns about that. My view is they got way overblown. Um, the stock was beaten up way too much over all of this. If you looked, for instance, at the daily active users across the meta platforms, there was almost no disruption in use of the actual platform. Hmm. Um, so that was what I looked at when I saw the stock declining. I said, well, this all seems like speculation. Like People hmm. are just freaking out about nothing. Um, even if you just assume that all the cash that was spent on the metaverse, if you assume that that resulted in absolutely nothing, it was still a good business. Like they mm. could spend that cash and it's not the end of the world. Um, so as far as the metaverse goes, I um, I think it could possibly work. I, mm. I don't necessarily think that Zuckerberg has lost his mind. I think that the metaverse could turn into something special. What that is, I don't really have uh, any idea what that could eventually turn into. Mm. Uh, but like I said, even without that, I still think it's a pretty good business and expectations got way too beat up last year. And this is still one of the best advertising platforms in the world. Yeah, interesting. Um, so it is very much, in, in your case, a, a bet on the legacy business, and which I guess now includes Instagram. Yeah, and I think you have the legacy business, which is still doing fine. Um, everybody that you talk to will frequently say in my circles that they're not using Facebook anymore, mm-hmm. but you look at the actual data and that doesn't seem to be happening. So I don't know if people mm-hmm. are lying or, or maybe, uh, Facebook is turning into McDonald's where everybody mm-hmm. claims that they never eat at McDonald's yet. Uh, I always see the drive-thrus packed. Um, people definitely use Instagram, you know, mm-hmm. um, Instagram's definitely a growing platform and it's not just in the United States. I mean, Facebook is growing internationally. Mm-hmm. They also own WhatsApp, which is, um, mm. which is an excellent application that is used widely throughout the world. Mm. So I haven't been, uh, been too, too concerned about any of that. I, I've, I think that that legacy business is intact. I think it's performing well. And then with this metaverse, there's some optionality there that could turn into something in the future that could turn into something big. And if it doesn't work out, it's not like um, 
they can't turn the spending off. Like they can absolutely stop spending so much cash on the metaverse. And recently Zuckerberg has um, shown to shareholders that he's willing to possibly cut back on the spending if it doesn't result in anything. And he's also shown some capital discipline. He's been willing to lay off some employees and reduce mm. some of the uh, the excess in the workforce. So he certainly hasn't lost his mind, which seemed to be the consensus a year ago that yeah. Zuckerberg has just lost his mind and he's blowing all of this money on the metaverse. And uh, he controls the company, so there's nothing shareholders can do about it. So people really freaked out about that. Uh, but I think he's demonstrated to the street recently that he's that he hasn't lost his mind and he's still a pretty adept business person. Any prospects of uh, them returning some cash to shareholders via buybacks or anything like that? Yeah, I think they 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 did buy back stock oh, last did. year. Um, yeah, they they bought back a little bit, but yeah, I mean, in the future, they could absolutely turn into more of a shareholder yield machine. Mm-hmm. Um, they've focused over the last decade more on growing those core mm-hmm. platforms, but I would also be content if this turned into kind of a shareholder yield story where mm-hmm. um, they're buying back large amounts of stocks or they they pay some nice dividends in mm-hmm. the future. And then TSM Taiwan Semiconductor. That is an interesting one that you, I mean, you say you're not, you know, you don't um, look at economic cycles so much or, or you look at them, but you don't really react to them. But this is a cyclical industry, the semiconductors, isn't it? And didn't they do very poorly in for most 7 to 09? Yeah, they, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a cyclical industry. It will definitely be impacted by a recession. Um, however, I think that the long-term prospects for growing semiconductor demand are still intact. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm always holding a stock and thinking a recession can just pop up at any time. The question is, will the company survive? And if I hold it for like a five to 10 year period, will demand for that product increase? So I think without question as the leading semiconductor manufacturer in the world, that Taiwan Semiconductor will be a bigger company in five to 10 years than it is today. The question is, are we going to have a recession this year? Are we going to have a recession in a couple of years? The other kind of macro worry weighing over Taiwan Semiconductor would be worries about an invasion of Taiwan. So mm-hmm. um, in my view, what you have there is, is a good setup. You have a company that's been beaten up um, over macro concerns that might not pan out. Like I don't think I don't think personally that China is going to invade Taiwan. I'm not too worried about that. I think if China did invade Taiwan, we'd be facing a world war. I'm pretty sure China knows that. And uh, I think that that's not something that I'm going to lose a lot of sleep over. In my view, if China invades Taiwan, we have bigger problems anyway than what's going on with my stock portfolio. Um, As far as a recession goes, yeah, I mean, the main uh, argument I would have against a recession this year would be that everybody is convinced we're going to have one. So um, everybody that you talk to- Which is quite contrarian, yes. Yeah. So my view is whenever everybody is on one side of a macro view, that that macro view usually doesn't materialize. So yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll have a recession this year. Maybe we won't. I'm willing to buy a stock that's beaten up over recession worries. um, And there's a possibility that that recession might not even happen. Mm -hmm. And TSM does pay a uh, dividend of 2%. The only one of these that you wait, Google doesn't do that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, but, it's Taiwan yeah. Semiconductor is paying a dividend. Google yeah. does buy back stock. Do Facebook buy buys back stock. Taiwan Semiconductor does pay pay a dividend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although obviously you're not investing for the income. You're, you're more about the capital gains over the long term. 
Yeah, I'm I'm looking for a combination of all of the above. Like if sure. uh, I generally what the way I look at it is, um, I try to figure out what I'm going to what I'm going to earn through shareholder yield, and then try to figure out a reasonable growth rate for the business. And then if I I'm buying them a little beaten up, um, mm-hmm. so I'm hoping to also get some shareholder some multiple appreciation as another source of of gain. Okay, and what are there any levels you'd be looking to add more of these? Um, generally I'm in or I'm out. I put on a I position see. and I, I give it some time to work out and I'm not necessarily going to average into it. I've definitely had bad experiences in the past where I've averaged into a stock and, um, haven't really been willing to admit that the thesis is broken. Mm. So, yes, I think we've all done that. The, uh, dreaded value trap there. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.com tech for more information by the way you don't need the dot tech suffix to get to that website dot com will do the trick and we also have a Substack that you can where you can sign up for the same prices same benefits same details contrarianpod.substack.com so if you already have a Substack account and use it or have the app and use that, that's probably the best way to go. So contrarian.supercast.com or contrarianpod.substack.com. Whole bunch of benefits, including, of course, getting this episode up to a week early without ads or annoying announcements. And you also get the daily contrarian briefing and podcast that is released every market day morning at 7 a.m. This is a contrarian take on the events of the day ahead and what is likely to move markets, such as economic data releases, earnings, and other things. It is really good, and that is completely unbiased, of course. So check that out, contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.tech. Now on with the show. You've talked about your portfolio. You, you call it the weird portfolio. How much of that is in individual stocks um, versus indexes? And how does that all play out? Yeah, so I run two separate portfolios. So I have a um, I have an account where basically I select stocks and I'm trying to buy, treat it as if I'm a business owner, buy them for a good margin of safety, hold them so I can actually get the results from the business. Then I run another portfolio, which is more of an asset allocation mm-hmm. approach, where um, that's that's generally all through ETFs. So, right. and it's held through U.S. small cap value, international small REITs, gold, and long term treasuries, held in kind of a risk parity style asset allocation, okay. where there's some defensive assets in there. There are some more aggressive, globally diversified assets in there with a tilt towards value. And um, the hope is like the idea behind that is I'm not trying to predict what's going to happen 
with markets. It's more of a buy and hold permanent portfolio style allocation. Now, within my stock picking account, I use that as a proxy for cash. So um, instead of holding cash when I can't find businesses that are selling at attractive prices, I'll hold the asset allocation instead. Mm -hmm. So um, last year, I was able to pick up a lot of stocks that I thought were pretty attractive. I started, I went into 2022 about 80% in that world weird portfolio. Right. And then I reduced that to 20% as I was picking up businesses throughout the oh, course wow. of the year um, that I thought were pretty attractive. Hmm. And so that's where it is now. It's like 20% in individual in uh, value in the asset allocation portfolio and 80 in uh, individuals. That's right. That's hmm. right. Awesome. And the goal is to hold about 15 when fully invested, I would hold about 15 stocks in an equally weighted portfolio. How many do you hold now? Um, right now, I hold about 10. So okay. the goal is to eventually, hopefully, deploy that remaining 20%. Um, but the markets don't seem to be cooperating. We're having a right. good year. so um, Yeah, as, surprisingly, right? Yeah, especially with tech. Yeah, um, so as, as things get better, I, um, I haven't found as many opportunities, but I'm always looking. I'm always updating my watch list, and I'm always adding companies that I think are, are good for a long-term investor to my watch list. Mm-hmm. How long is your watch list? Um, right now, it's up to about 100 separate okay. names of, okay. of That's companies. That's too much that I... to get into here in a podcast. <laughs> but can you give us some highlights of any that you're particularly looking at particularly closely right now? Sure. So a company that I've recently looked at that I that I really like is NVR. So they're a home builder. They're mm-hmm. focused more on the East Coast of the United States. Um, they have a pretty nice business model where the company went bankrupt in the early 1990s. And out of that situation, they um, adopted a different kind of approach towards purchasing land. So what they do is instead of what most home builders what most home builders do is they'll go out and they will buy land, build homes on it, and then sell the homes. So that makes you very, and NVR used to do the same thing, but that makes you very vulnerable. If there's a big decline in the real estate market, you wind up holding the bag, you wind up holding onto all of this property that you can't sell and it's getting marked down. And NVR ultimately went bankrupt from that situation in the early 1990s recession. So from that, what they did was they started, um, instead purchasing lot purchase agreements, which are basically options to buy land instead of actually buying all of their land outright. And then in addition to that, they uh, pre-sell all of their homes. So basically they'll exercise the lot purchase agreement. They'll buy up like a land that they, a piece of land that they want to develop. They'll have a model home on it. People tour the model home and then they pre-buy the house and they can often customize it with whatever features they want. So that business model makes them a lot more resilient whenever the real estate market declines, and that's allowed them to actually um, deliver really great returns for shareholders over a period of time. Hmm. Um, since since the mid '90s, it's still it's returned basically a twenty percent Kager over hmm. that period of time. So it's turned thousands into millions over that period of time. That's why. And even if you bought it at the peak of the housing bubble back in like late two thousand five. Um, and then held through 2015, you still earned a return that was comparable to the S&P 500, which you really wouldn't imagine if with buying a cyclical home builder and holding it through the global financial crisis. But that's the kind of company that NVR is. So um, I think it's a really attractive company to hold for the long term. 
Um, with that said, right now, the real estate market is doing really well. I would prefer to buy it when things are a little bit beaten up in the real estate market um, rather than buy it during a period of strength. So um, that's a huge one I've added to my watch list. And whenever it gets a little beaten up, I'll probably buy some. Hmm. It is trading at uh, right near an all-time high here. Interesting chart. Um, if you look at it, they, they peaked in like late 2021 and then dropped precipitously until it looks like they had a bit of, bit of double bottom. Okay, I guess then maybe that, that was in, in line with the rest of it in October of last year. And since then, it's been on an upswing, recapturing its post-COVID high. So maybe yeah. that is not interesting chart but yeah well i think last year you did have a situation where people were anticipating that the real estate market was going to decline and yeah. that didn't that didn't happen so right. um yeah last year was probably a good time to buy it um like i said i would i would really like to buy it when real estate is weak and then uh you know hold hold from there but even if i think um it's the kind of company where it does have some strong um, resiliency in the face of a recession. Like even in 2008, the company didn't lose money. Wow. Um, which is amazing for, for yeah. a home builder. Yeah. It's weird. This is one of these kind of like Berkshire Hathaway in that they don't seem to have split the stock at any point. So it trades for almost $6,000 a share. Yeah. They don't split the stock. And then in addition to that, they buy back massive quantities of stock. Okay. So okay. they're, they're constantly um, retiring shares and um, aggressively buying back stock. And that combined with the growth in the business has really fueled great gains for, mm -hmm. for shareholders. Yeah. But not paying a yield, interestingly, which is the more tax efficient way of doing this anyway. Yeah. Yeah. They, they focus almost solely on, on buybacks. Interesting. Wow. Okay. That is, that is a interesting one. NVR. Okay. Anything else that you're, that you're particularly closely watching? Um, another company I've written up pretty recently is um, that I've written up is um, um, Deere. Uh -huh. So I that those are John Deere tractors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's another really great company. Um, I think it's a little expensive at the moment. Not not terribly expensive. Um, I'm hoping to pick that up at some point with a decent margin of safety. So um, Deere is obviously synonymous with um, tractors, but it's also well known for the quality of its products. So yeah. among people in the agricultural industry, they're known as the most reliable pieces of equipment that you can buy. So when someone buys one of one of their pieces of equipment, they're, um, they know that that's going to last. And when you're talking about agricultural equipment, it's not something that you can really take a gamble with it. Like if yeah. you, if it goes down for a day, you're going to lose significant amounts of money. So you need mm -hmm. it to be very reliable. They're known for being reliable. You also need good service. So they're known for having a really high level of good um, customer service where they can go out and they can repair your mm. equipment whenever that happens. They're also investing pretty extensively in technology. So mm. they're developing autonomous, autonomous tractors where they really? can go out and they can actually you know, drive themselves. And then that's, that's all also synchronized with GPS. So, sure. So they're, they're investing extensively in technology and they have, they almost have the market cornered where in the U S agricultural market, John Deere is going to be the premier brand. I think it'll probably be the premier brand 20 years from now. Uh -huh. So whenever Deere is available at a decent margin of safety, it's definitely something I want to pick up. Interesting. Uh, this stock has kind of gone nowhere. It's down 13% year to date. 
over the last year, it's basically flat down 1%. And the forward PE is 12X. What do you, uh, what, at what level would you, cons- would you be buying here? Yeah, I think at the moment that the low PE is a little bit deceptive because business has okay. been so good over the last year. I see. So whenever I see something like that, when I see a company where um, it has a low PE, but it's on like incredible strength in the business, I usually mm-hmm. assume that will mean revert a little bit. Right. So if you look at, for instance, trending in price to book or price to sales, you know, right now it's around, it's above, you know, 5X price to book. Right. If you're talking about a recession, it would probably get down to about two times price to book. So um, I'd like to buy that on some weakness. I'd like to buy it when business isn't as good and Mm -hmm. anticipating that it will eventually mean revert rather than buy it when business is hot and mean aversion hurts in the other direction. Mm. But um, again, it's kind of company for a long-term investor. It should do fine over a long period of time. Yeah. The forward price of sales is 2X and the, the forward price of book is 5X. Yeah. The the it, forward price to cash flow isn't bad. That's 11x. Yeah, exactly. And and it is also a strong source of shareholder yield. So yeah. the total share count um is down by about 30% in the last decade and they right. are a dividend aristocrat. So mm. they um they've been able to grow dividends at a pretty steady rate. So mm. they've earned it from like if you were to adjust it for splits and everything else it went from like below 50 cents to almost $4.50 over the last 20 years. Hmm. So, um, and they and report earnings on, on Friday, if I'm not mistaken, this coming Friday, I believe. And yeah. This is interesting. Did you see uh, Home Depot just reported earnings? And they said that co- consumers are scaling back big ticket purchases. Um, and that stock's getting beaten up, beaten up a little bit as a result. They lowered guidance. Um, yeah. So uh, any thoughts on that? Do you think that, I mean, that's this is an economic question, obviously. Um, yeah, but, but if they're seeing it, then maybe somebody like Deer could too. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible we could have um, the recession that everybody's worried about. Yeah. Like, I, I don't really know. I'm more so. I would just wait for one of these industries and one of these businesses to show some weakness, and then I'll mm-hmm. buy it. So that's mm-hmm. actually music to my ears. That Home Depot is mm-hmm. it might be in a because that's another company I would love to own. So yeah. yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to see Home Depot get beaten up over a recession or recession mm. worries, and then yeah. be able to to buy it. Interesting. Okay, well, that's all. What, do you have a certain price that you're looking at for for Deer where you would consider adding? It's now at three seventy a share. Um. I yeah, I'd like to own it around. I'd say four or three times price to book at least somewhere in that ballpark. So that would probably be about twenty five thirty percent less than it is today. Okay. So that's about wow. So you're talking like sub nine, sub three hundred, basically. Yeah, and then then I'd start to get interested in it. Like, okay. yeah, I, I like to basically my approach is to find is to look for these compounders where even if you're a little bit wrong on the price, you should still do okay sure, unless you sure, dramatically sure. overpay. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, try to buy them when they're um, when they're in a substantial drawdown. Mm. Okay, so yeah, they're probably not going to dump that much on earnings, even if it's a major miss. Well, that's what I that's what I thought about Google and Facebook two years okay. ago. Okay, <laughs> yeah, true. But so those are much never... more typically more volatile than companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deer or Home Depot who are so mature. Yeah, they haven't been at three hundred levels since last summer. It looks like actually yeah. last summer. Yeah, but doesn't again. Yeah, doesn't mean they. You're right. Can and especially if there's concerns about consumers, you could see some stocks get beaten up unfairly. 
Yeah, so. like I'm not sure if we're gonna have a recession, mm-hmm. but I would love to see one. I mean, that sure, would be, yeah. that, I mean, that would be a great time to buy some of these, uh, some of these nice businesses. No them. question. Yeah. yeah, you'll have a lot of people sell for reasons other than the actual quality of the business. That's mm-hmm. always um, a good good story. Um, and then on the top of that, you, people always extrapolate whatever's going on right now and assume it'll last forever. Of course, of course, of course. Yes, on both upside and downside, they do that. In yep. Good times and bad. Very interesting value stock geek. You mentioned it. You have a sub stack. Uh, how's that going for you? Because I have a, I've had a sub stack going back about two or three years now almost. Um, yeah. Uh, pretty good. Um, I, I've had a Substack since 2011. Oh wow, they were around um, then. Yeah, uh, I'm not not 2011. I'm sorry, 2021. Okay, I was gonna say yeah. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 2021. I started it, and I started writing, and I basically started this project where I've been analyzing businesses and trying to find wonderful businesses that add my watch list, with the idea that. I want to capture these things when they're selling with a margin of safety. So basically building up a big watch list. Because what I found is whenever you have a good opportunity in the market, it kind of comes and goes. Mm. So I don't want to have to wait for a crash, run a screen, go dig through the screen during the crash. I want to own what I, I want to know what I want to own prior to any crash or prior to any disruption in the markets wait for it to happen. And then I already know I have my shopping list and I know things I want to own and I know the prices I want to own them at. Um, and that's the idea there behind the Substack is every week I'm evaluating a company. Um, the, I generally my, what I'm concluding is, Hey, this is a really good business. Um, but it's not attractive at the moment. So I'm adding it to my watch list. Sometimes I'll, um, evaluate businesses that I think are like superficially, quality and then I'll dig into them a little bit and I have some doubts about it and I won't mm-hmm. add that to the list. Um, and then occasionally I'll also go into businesses where, um, you know, it. I'm not really sure about the quality, but it looks cheap. There's some quantitative metrics that look attractive and then I'll, uh, I'll dig into those as well. And then the goal is eventually to go through the whole S&P 500 and find um, and develop wow. this, this watch list of and potentially beyond that, I'd like to go into the mid cap space and places like that and try to find a list of, of really high quality businesses. And that's what I do on the Substack. Every week, I publish a new write-up. Um, on top of that, I'm also publishing updates on my watch list. And then I publish updates on my real-time personal portfolio where I'm actually going out and buying these portfolios, buying these stocks. Um, additionally, on the Substack, I also publish podcast episodes. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'm interviewing a lot of pretty interesting investors. Um, I'm also answering questions from the audience. And then usually what I do with that is I'll release podcast episodes first behind a paywall. And then um, I remove the paywall after a few weeks. Oh, that's an interesting strategy. Yeah. And the podcast is available at Mm securityanalysis.org. Yeah, Um, that's the website. I'm just looking at it now. I notice here you have Clorox also on your watch list, it looks like. Yeah, Clorox um, is an excellent company. That's a a wonderful consumer staple. I think yeah. something something like ninety uh, percent of all homes have Clorox products. Um, that went through a wild ride due to COVID. Mm. So yeah. um, obviously, they're pro- they had business. COVID was great for their business, and then they've had a little deterioration in that. Mm. I guess because everybody's houses are fully stocked with cleaning products at the moment, right. but. Um, yeah, it's pretty expensive at the moment, but mm-hmm. at some point I'd like to own that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's yeah, probably the yeah. kind of thing I could pick up in a recession. 
For sure. Yeah. It got, it got somewhat a little cheaper again at the end, towards the end of last year. Um, and st- since then it's been on a bit of a rally. So I, I watched them pretty closely as well. Okay, cool. That's real. Wow. That's really interesting. And then of course on Twitter value stock geek, is that your handle there? You have a lot of followers, a lot more than me. Um, are you, have you used the Substack notes yet? And I have seen that. And what are your thoughts on that versus Twitter post Elon? Well, it was pretty disappointing when Elon banned the links to yeah. Substack. That happened briefly. So um, that was kind of annoying. And it, it uh, made me question, <laughs> you know, my, like I actually did go out and uh, buy the blue check specifically to promote my Substack. That was the whole Thanks. point of it. Yeah. And then when they tried to ban Substack, uh, that was pretty, that was pretty irritating. Mm. And then they also, so that band has been lifted, but they've also, um, it seems like they are still suppressing Substack links yeah, a little bit. It, yeah. So I'll definitely get more engagement when I don't post a Substack link. Yeah. Um, so that's a little irritating. So anyway, yeah. I've tried notes as an alternative to it. Unfortunately, there aren't as many people on there. So it's not as a, as great a platform to right. promote a Substack, And uh, um, you, they definitely need to get more of an audience on there. And Twitter still kind of has the game cornered with um, social media. So yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Substack Notes is nice. I, I like sure. what they're doing. I like the effort that they're making and hopefully it gets bigger in the future. Um, yeah. I'm definitely posting on there and I would encourage anyone listening to to join it and try it out. Yeah, same, same. Um, and I've had a good dialogue with uh, Linda over there at uh, who does the financial um, piece at Substack. And they yeah, really she's seem, awesome. Yeah, she's really cool. And they seem to be doing a lot um, and they take a lot of suggestions. Um, although one that I've given her a couple of times that she hasn't followed up on yet, I'm mean, assuming there's a, a reason for this is that, you know, how they, they have the, like the stock tickers get linked if you write it in an article, but if you, like, if you do it like Twitter, like you put a dollar sign in front of the ticker, mm-hmm. but not on the notes. So, which is kind of, which is unfortunate that you can't do that with notes. Yeah. Um, so, but at least, like you said, they're open to suggestions so i'm mm-hmm. sure they're probably they'll probably add that i would imagine Hopefully, in, the, in yeah. the future yeah you would think yeah um and they definitely seem a lot less uh, crazy and volatile than, than elon so yeah, yeah like it's like what the hell is he gonna do today you never yeah, know. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> know and throttling Substack, like this just hurts him you would think right i mean yeah it's just petty and 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 um well whatever Short term, it makes sense. I mean, keep people engaged on Twitter, but then if you take that too far, eventually, I would imagine people would migrate away from from Twitter as as the premier social media platform. Except there aren't really any alternatives. I mean, people have talked about this blue sky thing, which I've been trying to get an invite for forever. Me too. (laughs) And uh, haven't been successful. But, you know, the other one that was awful, uh, I forget even what it's called now, Um, but it was right when Elon took over, people were screaming about it and it just didn't work. So it's, I mean, there's the reason that nobody's displaced Twitter yet. And, you know, maybe the barrier to entry is, is a little higher than we think. Yeah, it could, it could be. And then I imagine in the future, we won't be dealing with Elon, like at some point. At some point, yeah, you figure. <laughs> I mean, already now he's stepping back and having this woman take over as CEO. But yeah, I, I don't know if they're, the debt load that they took on is sustainable. So well, yeah. I imagine it'll probably at some point get owned by the banks and then they'll sell it to someone. So Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. That was a great arbitrage opportunity, by the way, when uh, he took, he bought them. Um, yeah. 
I don't know if you probably don't do any uh, risk arb, but that was like a, a rare instance of like basically a, a layup because there was no way he was getting like people who looked at the agreement. They were like, there's no way he's getting out of this. And, um, you know, there were times when the, when it sold off right well below the takeout price and, you know, could have locked in some nice gains there. Yeah. Those, those who did that, um, it worked out pretty well for them. Um, then I yeah, he one, did. but I didn't buy enough because, but anyway, and that was just more luck, but anyway, yeah. But there was some uncertainty, like he could have, I don't know. I've seen him do all kinds of crazy things before where right. he's been able to weasel out of things. And yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. What's the concern? <laughs> yeah. That was the concern that he was going to somehow find a way to weasel out of it. But if you looked like, if you looked at ARBs, like if you look at like the, the legal precedents, like basically for him to do that would have to, it would have been like a legal, like, like a mess. Um, yeah. And created a new precedent that like nobody would have wanted to deal with. And so from that perspective, it was a layoff, but yeah, but a layoff, but anyway, so much for that. All right, cool. So yeah, so check out Valley Stock Geek on Substack, the website securityanalysis.org. And of course, Value Stock Geek, the Twitter account, anywhere else on, on social media or anywhere else. I'm mean, imagine you don't have a YouTube. Yeah, that's it. I'm securityanalysis.org. And then my Twitter where my handle's at Value Stock Geek. Cool. Very nice. Awesome. Value Stock Geek, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast again. Look forward to having you on at a future point, maybe in a year or so. Maybe we'll have a completely different economy then. Maybe it will be shopping season for you. But for now, this is what we got. And with that, we thank you all for listening. Thank you, uh, Value Stock Geek, for coming on. And with that, look forward to seeing you all again here next week. See you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.